Well, I'm gonna let you pour it. So we don't, we're not gonna pour four glasses oh, while we're on air. That's good, girl. I'm glad you didn't kill Donovan Mitchell, man. Dude, yeah, yeah no, that's, I, that's, that's fucked up, dude. I was I was leaving my girlfriend's house at the time, or apartment, and next thing I know, Donovan Sure he was. Yeah, you don't gotta make yeah. things up, dude. You don't got a lot to kick it. From El Toro Studios, brought to you by ElToro.com, the only one-to-one, 100% cookie-free IP targeting solution. This is the Straight from the Bull podcast. Welcome to the fourth episode of the El Toro podcast. My name is Kramer Caswell, and I'm sitting here, as always, with David Stadler and DJ Oz. Before we get into the episode, I've had a few people asking me about the music we play at the beginning of each podcast. The music is by Louisville artist Casey Powell. <coughs> Casey's a good friend of mine who, in my opinion, has one of the best up-and-coming bands in the city. You can find him on Spotify, Twitter, and Instagram at Casey Powell Music. So, uh, this is really embarrassing, but I, where are my notes here? Uh, cool. So today we are chatting with, uh, um, ah, this is so unprofessional. It's all right, guys. Mark Jurich. Mark Jurich. Yeah. Cool. Oh, Mark hey. Jurich. Great, 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 great. Yeah. You know, that name Jurich kind of sounds familiar. Yeah. Well, it was, it's interesting because, you know, first we called Laney Jurich up and she knows more about current events and today's news than most journalists do. And I mean, seriously smart. She's way better than Katie Keurig. Uh, but she had a prior engagement, so she told us to give her girl Jules a call. Yeah, so then uh, Sadler told me, he said, hey, I need you to call this girl Jules. So I called Jules, super mad that I called her Jules. She said, I'm, this is Julianne. And she said, uh, I'm not going to be able to make it. I had a prior engagement, but you need to call my friend Tom. So I called this dude Tom. I said, I said to him, I says, Tommy boy, Tommy, talk to me. I need someone interesting to talk to. Do you have anybody I could talk to? And he said, you need to talk to my boy, Mark. So here we are. We're sitting with Mark Church today. What's up, Mark? Nothing like hitting cleanup, guys. It's <laughs> <laughs> just glad to be here. Thanks for joining us, man. In, in all seriousness, seriousness, thanks for you know carving out a little bit of time today. But you know, Mark has very interesting experience in sports marketing. Um, he has overseen the development over, of over $100 million worth of capital projects in the university space, uh, well beyond that in annual fund contributions. Um, and Mark has recently made the jump into consulting um, and sports marketing with the Jurich Group. Um, just a quick blurb about the Jurich Group. Mark and his team have over two decades of experience in athletics, working with donors, season ticket holders, and the ins and outs of athletic program, which puts him in a prime position to help advise a lot of these large institutions as to how to steer the ship. Yeah. Would you say that's right, Mark? That's a very uh, very nice assessment. Thank you for the compliment. <laughs> <but>. <laughs> All right. So before we get in too deep, we're going to go ahead and uh, pour the bourbon of the day. Stadler, do you want to talk about this? Because so we just got this guy. Today's bourbon that we will be sipping on is the Boone County 1833. Um, so this is this is actually one of the products that come out of Indi Indiana. Uh, so that's the, the MGP uh, group, if I'm not mistaken, as to their name. Uh, this is a 12-year-old bourbon, which you don't really see a lot of those coming out of the market these days with an actual age statement on it. 
Um, and this is this is one of my favorite ones that have come out of the last, I'd say, you know, year, two years and change. Um, this one, uh, Old Forester 1920, these, those are two of my go-tos yeah. in terms of the last calendar year. Look at this. Year. Unlike the last podcast, I poured myself a man's, a man's oh, pour here. I am so <laughs> growing up. I know. I'm growing up, man. Gosh, growing up. This is fantastic. So He's a big boy. Somebody told me um, that I was tasting the bourbon all wrong. And first things first, I slapped him in the face for questioning me. Uh, but then I realized that, you know, maybe there is a little bit of credence to that. So there were a couple of parts that they wanted me to address. You know, first the nose, the initial flavor, and then the finish. And I'm like, man, that's way too much you thought fans. of drink and some much, booze, yeah. dude. Look, I, I say we just get in and just taste this thing. Yeah, let's do it. Hit All it, right. quit it, say Cheers. we did it. Cheers, Mark. Cheers. Boom. Cheers, y'all. Oh, that's a good sound. No coughing this time. Not this week. <laughs> okay, I lied. <laughs> I'm so bad at this. I'm so bad at this. Don't worry. I remember right, my so, first time I had bourbon, too. Yeah, seriously, man. Seriously. I mean, when I, when I, when I first smell this, I, I think of, like, leather. I think, like, leather, earthy tones, that kind of stuff. Man, what, is it, what does that mean? I don't know, man. Like, it, it's, like, I literally smell leather when I smell this. That's the first thing that good. comes to At my mind. At least you don't taste leather. Yeah. yeah I, you might have a problem. Have a problem I don't here. taste it, but, you so know, that's what I smell. Um, one thing I notice when I taste it, it's a, it feels thicker oh. on my palate. And, you know, I get a little twinge of something sweet, mm -hmm. a little bit of butterscotch in there maybe. Um, and then it finishes with a little bit of spice to it. Um, yeah. And I guess that's mm -hmm. kind of normal coming out of Lawrenceburg. I guess they do a lot of rye up there, so... Yeah. Um, yeah. This is Dave Stadler approved. Um, for the record, Boone County 1833 does not sponsor the El Toro podcast. But let me be very clear. It could. It could. We're it open could. to it. Yeah, for sure. I'm definitely open. That, that's uh, Interestingly enough, um, I want to thank our listeners out there. I mean, Kramer mentioned that this is our fourth episode. All 10 Listeners, all ten. Yeah, <laughs> literally tens of downloads. Oh, we just so got eleventh. This is this is huge. Um, so all you folks out there, I'm going to thank you by name. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, let's go ahead and get to the hard questions here, Mark. So first question: How do you get your hair to stay so perfect? It's beautiful. You know, it's a it's a lot of work. You can't wake up in the morning and just look like this. So which uh, you know, it's a lifestyle. Is it, is it like gel hair? What is it? Gel, hairspray, and a little bit of everything. Man. All of the above. All I the found, above. I saw, I saw a picture. Let me show you the picture, just so you can uh, kind of react to this. Where is, is it the this? one on juricgroup.com? No, it's this one I found on Google Images. Your hair is a little wild here. <laughs> I mean, what was going on? We'll make on sure on that not day? to post that. That was a press conference that we were doing on the expansion, and the wind happened to be blowing about 60 miles an hour. So, <laughs> although it looks like this most of the times, if it's windy, not every count time I can't. Yeah. I gotcha. thought it was a helmet at first, to be totally honest. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, so, Mark, I met you, let's see, back in February for the first time. Um, you came into the office uh, right after leaving the university. Um, tell me a little bit about, one, your history just in general with sports, and then, two, kind of that transition from um, leaving the university to, to where you are now. Sure. I, I've grown up in sports. Um, most of you all know my dad's been an athletic director for over 35 years and was fortunate enough to, to, to see it, to live it, to be a part of it. And then in college, to be a student athlete, um, you know, I got to experience it firsthand, all these you know, great uh, opportunities that are provided by universities. Mm -hmm. And 
always wanted to be an athletic director. That was just kind of ingrained in me. I've always wanted to do it. I idolized my dad, loved what he did, and I think it was even further reinforced when I was a student athlete because we did have so many wonderful opportunities and great experiences. But then once, once I got out and I got into development, I knew that was my calling. I loved it. Mm-hmm. You know, just being able to, you know, A, fundraise, B, being able to meet people, you know, and to hear what the university meant to so many people. Mm-hmm. And to share my experience as a student athlete, to get them to believe in our vision. You know, for 20 years, the University of Louisville, we, we had a we, great trajectory. You know, we did a lot of a lot of things that I don't think many people ever expected us to, and that's a tribute to our fans and the way that they believed in the vision. And so to be out there with them and to hear that love and that passion on why they're coming, how they're coming, the stories of growing up, coming to games with their grandfather, now mm-hmm. they're bringing their kids was just fascinating. Um, you know, but then I had this unique opportunity, you know, uh, um, being able to come over here and to see how innovative you guys are with El Toro and the tech that you guys were able to create was fascinating. Mm-hmm. And uh, where I was starting to go, I was like starting to think, because you, you looked across the athletic spectrum as a whole, you really had three overarching themes uh, from an external uh, standpoint. You had declining attendance at home games, uh, people buying tickets and not coming, or people just not buying tickets anymore, Yeah, uh, which is a real problem. And then retention, right? You know, each institution you're faced with a retention issue. People keeping them there, keeping them engaged, making them feel good about what they're doing, um, you know, from a season ticket holder and donor standpoint. And then also, uh, it's being able to identify new people yeah. and new donors, new season ticket holders. So so what was it when you first, when you first came in because... Um, you went back and talked with some of the guys in the R&D room, and they were showing you some, some really cool stuff. And what was it about seeing um, – what, what did they show you that really sparked your interest to think, to, to think maybe I should get into this sports marketing digital space? Yeah, you know, so Dan asked me to come over and just said, you know, we had coffee. Um, we had coffee, and he said, hey, I'd love to tell you what we're doing, show you more. Obviously, at Louisville, we'd worked with you guys in a certain capacity. And he said, I want to show you what we're doing. I think it's going to blow your mind. They came over and they showed me one of the models that we were building using Venue Replay. And, I mean, my jaw dropped to the floor. I immediately started thinking about... Well, what did you see when, when they were showing? They showed us the golf model, an early iteration of the golf model. So what, what is that? So when you say golf model, because a lot of people listening oh, are going to know. Yeah. What, what so no, what, what it was is a, a model that we built for golf courses. So we started, we leveraged the Venue Replay tool and we started to frame out all the different golf courses across the country. And at this point, I think we had just had done the South. I think we had about 700 or so golf courses that were already framed. And then what we're able to ascertain is to start to see and capture the device IDs, matching it back to a home address and then the IP address. And you're starting to see who's playing, where they're playing, how often they're playing, right? So you're starting to see your intenders, right, the ones that are interested in golf, that are engaged with golf. And more importantly, you start to see and understand their behaviors, how often they're playing, the frequency. Mm-hmm. And so as I saw that, it was like, oh, my God, you could use this in development. You yeah. could use this in ticketing. You could use this in marketing, branding, et cetera. You could just, just – start it started to turn. And coming in for the first first couple of weeks, it was I was a kid in a candy store yeah. being able to sit and listen because I didn't know – I didn't even know what, to be, what questions to ask, you know, to start and learn these capabilities and how vast it is and to realize that this is cutting edge. Nobody's doing it. And we're the only company that can. And I want to start, then I went back to those three pillars, right? Declining attendance, the retention rate, identification of new. Well, if I can actually see who's coming to these venues, mm-hmm. then you can start to build that out. So now I can identify your high-risk account holders, people that are only coming to, you know, a few games, you know, and 
ultimately being able to identify new people that we didn't know that were coming, right? So I looked at it from an, from a space of where I was in my old seat, where looking at our ticketing solution, it would just say Mark Jurch's ticket scanned X amount of games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, now I can actually see how many times Mark Jurich came. And then from there, start to assess. From, from the venue replay. From venue replay. Then I can yeah. start to see, okay, here, then assess. Is he, then I, I only came twice maybe. So knowing that information and having the experience that I had in, de- in development and ticketing, well, that's a high-risk account holder. Let's get in front of that individual. Or more importantly, like you said, to identify new ones, well, if we're starting to see people on multiple occasions that are coming that aren't ticket holders, those are people we need to engage. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Yeah, it's been. I mean, it's been a blast. I mean, these these last four months have just has been so much fun. So you mentioned something that that I thought sounded pretty cool, um, and I like it when any kind of issue or problem can get kind of summed up into, you know, a nice neat package. And you mentioned your three pillars there. Could you say that one more time? Yeah, the three pillars that that we've seen, and it's it's not even just collegiate athletics; it's professional. Mm-hmm. It's declining attendance at home games retention of season ticket holders and donors and ultimately the identification of new donors and season ticket holders nice nice so do you think that that's kind of one of the biggest problems or one of the biggest challenges facing athletic departments today yeah absolutely um you know i think i think it's twofold at least from the external space is you're constantly in a in an arms race whether it's facilities keeping up with the joneses northwestern just built a million, $300 indoor facility. So the next school is going to build one bigger, right? So it's just, again, the keeping up with the Joneses is so important from a recruiting standpoint. So you have to, you have to make that investment. So not only engaging your donors and cultivating them properly, that's one thing, but you got to identify new ones because you cannot continue to go back to the well. You're going to have people that are going to support you no matter what. Their level of giving may be different each time. They may have started higher and incrementally, you know, lowered their support, but they're going to continue to give. But it's incumbent upon us as departments and institutions to go out and find new people, new prospects. And, you know, that's something that you always, that we, that we saw was here being able to do that. And I think for, for 20 years, our staff did a great job of building good relationships with people that we were able to keep the current donors happy and excited about the vision and where we're going. But also, too, did a great job stewarding those relationships that they would induce us to their friends, right? Certainly. So the, the, the word of mouth aspect. Certainly. So traditionally when athletic departments would go out there and they take two edit that out <laughs> edit that out um but uh, so traditionally before technology like this existed how are directors of athletic departments really keeping butts in seats what were your main tools uh, being utilized to I guess, maintain your exposure to these donors, maintain your exposure to these season ticket holders, um, and, and sort of grow that relationship. It's a, it's a lot. It's a lot of hard work to, to, to be engaged. You know, I think from our standpoint, it was trying to have as many touch points as possible, whether they're phone calls, emails, text messages, something. My, my philosophy was always simple. I didn't want, every time that your phone rang, I didn't want it to be me asking for money or my staff to be asking for money. I wanted to actually build close personal relationships. The hard thing with it is, you know, staffs aren't, aren't able to have as many people as you want to be able to have the breadth to be able to reach an entire fan base. And so you had to do your very best to try and prioritize donors and lists through people, you know, and, and leveraging your word of mouth through, and referrals. Makes sense. You know, and I think, you know, the biggest thing is too, is people want to have a vision that they can believe in, that they can support, right? If I want to come to you and ask you for money, your hard earned money, there's a thousand worthwhile charities you can support. Why are you choosing to give to Louisville? 
you know, and people believed in the vision that my dad said that our department had, and they wanted to support it. They knew that we were going to be great stewards of their money. We invested it wisely. All I got to do is drive up and down 4th Street. Yeah. Every single yeah, no facility kidding. is brand new to the, I mean, it's, it's yeah. you know, so those were, that was, those were all kind of a combination, right? You have to have good facilities. You have to hire good coaches. You got to win, and you also got to have a great vision. And we were able to do that. And my, my team at the time was able to go out and have as many, you know, as many touch points as possible. Right on. Yeah, I can attest to that. I remember, like, being at basketball games, and there's Mark walking, I mean, middle of the game sometimes. I mean, you're walking up and down some of the aisles just kind of greeting people along the way. I always thought that was kind of nice. Yeah, you know, it, you, you knew our enough. names. Like, looking at us in the stands, there's, you know, a, an arena full of 22,000 people. Hey, Stadler, what's up? Yeah. <laughs> and that's, you know, and that's one, that's, one of, that's, one of, that's one of the things. I think, you know, it's always funny because people are like, oh, my God, you just got you to see so many games. We were at a lot of games, but we were working during those points, yeah. right? It's not, it, it was, we didn't get to sit and enjoy it. You know, my, my favorite games would pro probably be on the road because I can actually sit and enjoy it, watch a game, and, you know, see the whole thing versus <laughs> it being just that. As he holds his glass of bourbon, <laughs> <laughs> not wanting to Listen, say Listen, I don't want to insult, insult the host. I got I to gotta partake. <laughs> so, so when you, so you talked on this, coming back to, when you first came to El Toro and you started seeing all these models and, and seeing these people uh, sh who play golf and the frequency of how they're playing golf, you started to come up with the idea of the Jurich Group. Um, from that point, how do you now utilize this technology to go back and do what you did when you were at places like UofL and some, some of these colleges? Yeah. How do you use this technology to, to help other universities now? Sure. You know, I think the first thing is you're talking about building out the Jurich group. Um, you know, I've always, I've always been on the mindset, you win with people and mm -hmm. you hire great people. Um, we've got a great team with, um, with certainly with my wife, um, being a part of, being a part of our group and, and as well as Julianne Waldron, um, you know, collectively the three of us sat down, put our brains together and that's how we really created this, this business model on what we wanted to do. And I think the breadth of experience that we're able to bring is kind of reflective in what we have to offer. To answer your question after that was, okay, after we, we knew the problems, right? Mm -hmm. we, we knew the key overarching problems across the space. So what you can do is, you know, with the venue replay, you've got the ability to look back over six months. And now you're able to start to build out and understand the consumer journey, right? Their mm -hmm. behaviors, how often are you coming? And then being in, being, in the, being in the chair wearing my development hat for a minute, you could start to start to see trends yeah. and understand, okay, if I saw you at these games, are you a season ticket holder? Are you a value buyer? Where are you kind of in that pipeline? And so now we're able to create strategies based on the information that we're able to pull from, you know, the venues that we frame. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's really cool. Yeah. Cause I never, cause I sit here every day and see all this venue replay stuff. But when you actually, <laughs> when you actually start thinking, Oh, you could utilize it in this space and this space. And now you're utilizing it in college athletics and, and not just college, but professional. Yeah, I mean, we're really kind of cool. we're kind of jaded by the ever presence of the tech yeah, in our world right now. Yeah, it's nice to take a step back. It was a breath of fresh air when Mark walked in. <laughs> I got to see something. <laughs> I was like, ah, yeah, we could do it in sports. That's cool. I didn't think about that. It, you could, and then what, and what was fun for us and our team? I mean, we've you know, mm -hmm. uh, I could sing our praises about Laney and Julianne. It's just sitting there, and, and and we were literally we were kids in a candy store. You mean we can do this? Well, how about this? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then. I think what's been a lot of fun in addition to that is having the opportunity to, to learn from other campaigns that have been run in different industries, 
oh yeah, no, we can do this, we can do that. And it's, we've been refreshed by coming in and, you know, this is such a great culture here and you get to see these individuals coming into work and being able to work with people like yourselves that bring a whole fresh look to mm -hmm. a, an old problem, right? For so long, we've looked at it, analyzed it from one direction, but come in and, and hearing, hey, well, have you looked at it from this angle? It's like, God, God, actually, no, we didn't. And being able to really get the best of everything, you know, get the best of El Toro, the tech, plus our intellectual capital, I think we've built the, the finest solution out there. Yeah, I'd say I so. And I mean, it's, it's definitely a two-way street. I mean, we had, you know, we had some experience when, you know, you first started coming into the office here where we had, in, in our previous lives, you know, helped, you know, different institutions sell a lot of tickets, you know, from, you know, college athletics to professional athletics to concert venues and things of that nature. Um, and, you know, our focus was was very limited. It was limited to, you know, tickets, 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 sure. ticket holders, tickets, tickets, tickets. Yeah. And I mean, that's that's really all we really focused on. So, you know, we, we look at these venues and we say, okay, well, you know, let's, you know, try to sell the excess tickets that exist to some of the people that live nearby. So, you know, we look at some dorms sometimes and we say, mm -hmm. okay, well, you know, a couple of hours leading up to that specific event, let's target all of the dorms and see if we can get more students in the seats to give that type of, you know, that vibe that you really want at a game. But when you guys came in, you introduced us to so many other opportunities and mechanisms through which we could leverage this technology to expand some of that business. Um, and I, I just thought that was a really interesting experience for us, you know, collaborating with you all and being like, you got to be kidding. Okay, that makes total sense. <laughs> that. That's actually logical. Yeah. <laughs> And the unique thing is, 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 is this isn't just only a ticketing solution. You know, there's so many opportunities within marketing, development, sponsorship, multimedia rights. Again, because what we're doing is identifying the intenders, the fans, right? So you start at the venue. Well, because that's where people are either raising their hand, directly identifying themselves to you by purchasing tickets or indirectly by coming with a friend or buying on the secondary market. These people are telling you that, hey, I'm a fan of your program. Come talk to me. You know, the worst thing in the world, you know, and it's, it's, it's inevitable, it's probably happened to every development officer, is when you're in a campaign and you, you get a gift and the person finally says, hey, I know if you wanted my money bad enough, you come and ask. <laughs> well, now we can help you, we can help you funnel down your list <laughs> to go after those people, right? Because you want that touch point. They're not going to readily available and say, hey, I'm going to give you X. Of course. No, they want to they feel good about what you're doing. They want to be courted. You know, now we can help you funnel down those lists. I mean, you know, the Cardinal Athletic Fund. When I was there, my team, we, we had 8,500 active members, so anybody that gave $100 or more. Our staff of seven, we had good, meaningful relationships with, you know, probably 2,000. Good, where you can pick up the phone, call, they're going to answer. And, and, you know, but what about the other 6,500? You know, we didn't, it's, it was just, okay, at that point, it was, you try to be smart, you try to be diligent, you look at some, you know, try and look at some consumer behaviors. But again, you're limited by the data, because the data was only scan rates, and it doesn't help you. Well, now we can actually funnel those lists down using, you know, that same technology, the, the geo-framing technology, and you start to frame out other wealth indicators. You know, something, okay, maybe are you flying privately? Are you staying at four- and five-star hotels? Things like Kramer. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, so then, but then I can For tell you. sure, man, I wish. <laughs> <laughs> you know, then, then I can find a guy like Kramer, and I can say, hey, you need to go talk to Kramer. <laughs> yeah, but, he just paid ten grand to fly to Atlanta. It's crazy. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Every but at that weekend. point, you know, the great thing is, is you, you shrink a list from, you know, from 6,500 down to 600, 700 qualified prospects to go and talk to. You make your, you make your development team, your marketing team, your, um, your sales team so much more efficient when you know who to approach versus just doing a random buckshot. For sure. Sure. So, Mark, it's been noted that you, you mentioned that attendance is down, retention is down. 
hate to get negative, but like the cable ratings, they're a bit down overall as well. So we've noted the problem. How can digital and the Jurich Group improve that situation? I think, for, first of all, from my, from my standpoint, <laughs> when it's, it's one is, is being able to identify the intenders who are coming to the games, right? Because a lot of times, if I don't know you're coming, I can't engage you as a fan. I can't sell that vision. I can't sell it to you and get you to believe in what we're trying to offer, right? So I want to be able to get in front of you. So that's the first is being able to identify and get in front of the folks that we don't know yet. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And then more importantly, you know, staying with the people that we've identified that could possibly be a high risk account holder, meaning the fact that they may drop their tickets. We want to keep you there, keep you engaged and believe in what we're doing. And then I think, you know, the, th- the third piece is going into it, uh, you know, being able to talk directly to the consumer, you know, being able to, you know, you know, directly target them on their mobile devices, their cell phones, et cetera, to remind them, hey, big game tonight. White out, red out, black out, whatever it may be, to be able to do that so it keeps it front of mind. You know, a lot of times you'd be surprised, you know, when we would do a, a few um, a few case studies, you would see, you know, and then people just, hey, I forgot, you know, you just get caught up in work and I forgot there's a game tonight. We really saw it a lot. You see it a lot in basketball, especially when you have in those early months in November and December when it feels like you've got a home game. Every other day, yeah. Oh, yeah, you know. So you think about it for just, people in the workplace. Keeping process. it like top of mind. I'm guilty. Keeping it, keeping it top of mind. So when you're there, you know, serving an ad in the morning, saying, "Hey, don't forget to big game today," or "Can't make the game, give your tickets away." You know, click here, give your tickets yeah. away. Yeah, so that, that way it keeps the you know helps keep the stadium full. I can definitely see that because sports marketing goes hand in hand with experiential marketing, mm-hmm. and so if you can pack the seats. Uh, like Pat Stadler said, I mean, that vibe just increases. If you can coordinate colors, I mean, if you've been to a blackout or a whiteout game, it's it's ridiculous. There's yeah. such an atmosphere that exists around those events. Yeah. Um, so we were reading an article. Um, it, it came out in the Washington Post, and, you know, we've been kind of talking about a lot of the attendance declines um, that folks are seeing in, you know, NFL events. Um, and NCAA football was the one that kind of struck me um, as an oddity, and this Washington Post article actually uh, noted specifically a 3% decline in attendance in 2017 versus 2016 uh, for NCAA football games. And they cited a lot of the folks um, that that decline was associated with was millennials. And I, I was shocked uh, when I saw that because, you know, when I was in college, I mean, our lives revolved around, or at least yeah. our weekends in the fall, they revolved around. Well, that's football. interesting because I can speak a little bit about that because I know, because I'm, I'm would fall into the category of millennials. A lot of times, our friends we would just go to the tailgates and then we would we would dip out afterwards, and we wouldn't we actually wouldn't go to the games. Now, if we had tickets or somebody had given us tickets, we would go. But that is interesting. Are there? Do you have thoughts about why that is for millennials? Yeah, I think part of it, too, is I think there's so many different ways to consume a game now. Yeah, you know, with oh, all yeah. these huge TV contracts with ESPN and these conferences, you can watch a game from anywhere. You know, and so do I really want to go to a stadium and be there for four hours? Or, you know what, heck, I can take my phone and go hike and watch the game. You know, like I can do other activities <laughs> while having this there. Yeah, that's a good point. That you don't need to have it. You know, and that was a big concern of ours when, um, you know, as we met as development directors in the ACC was, how, how do we engage this next group of millennials? Because they're not coming. You know, one of the things, uh, you know, we touched upon was experiential marketing 
we wanted to draw on those experiences, right? Being able to say, hey, do you remember what it was like when we won, you know, we won the national championship or we went to this bowl game? You remember that feeling? That was a good well, feeling. Well, now, oh, remember those days. <laughs> <which> were, <laughs> were great feelings. But you know what? A lot of times now, some of these kids, just, they don't, they don't want to go to that, right? So in 10 to 15 years, you're not going to be able to draw on that experience. Does it mean to say that they're any less proud of those accomplishments? No. But they weren't there. They didn't live it. And they, don't, mm. they can't reflect and draw on it and say, man, that was awesome. I want to be able to. I want to be able to buy. Make sure I keep buying these great tickets, and I want to bring my kids. Remember when we saw that on TV? Oh, it was great. It's a great <laughs> experience. Yeah, no, and that's a, and that's a problem. But that's. I mean, and that's and that's real. I just think there's again, no. so many ways to consume games that. Yeah. If you're interested, you may not may not go. I mean, it's interesting you bring that up. I was, it was 2013 uh, when we won the national championship, and mark my words, we Dave still- Stadler said it right now. We won. The Banner 2013 oh, yeah, we did. national championship. I don't care if anybody, I don't care. Those boys it. earned Drink it. Um, so, um, I was. I happened to be in San Francisco at the time at a conference, and uh, I was losing my mind in the middle of this bar where <laughs> nobody had any interest in what was going on. I rolled outside. <laughs> I flipped a Prius. I lit that thing on fire. <laughs> it was <laughs> the best night Where's of my full life. Fool you, a fan. <laughs> right after the dining couch. Made. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I was actually but, the first time I I went down to campus to celebrate. I was a junior in high school. Oh my God, I was, like, I was so awesome. jealous of everybody. Yes, my awesome. wife was yeah, able was to go cool. down to campus that night cool. and like and, and party with, with all the kids out there. That's and when I, I mean, first found Mount Fuji. I was like, those kiddos. Ooh, good. Gosh, man, it was awesome. But, you know, I think about that and I, I think about like kind of reliving that moment in my mind's eye. And, you know, if you could, if you could capture that emotion and 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 it at the very least display it to somebody that that makes them harken back to that moment yep. um or allows their children to kind of realize the i mean they call us fanatics for a reason yep. um it, that that kind of that triggers whatever that primal response is i mean that's mm. huge and it it doesn't take any time at all right. uh, for that to happen but you just have to trigger that moment yeah i don't yeah. know i don't know what it is cuz i i love going to games if i have tickets i'll go but I don't really go out of my way to buy tickets. I You'd be surprised at how many people, um, you know, won't go to a game because, you know, you've got Wi-Fi connectivity issues, right? Mm-hmm. And so a lot of today's society is posting updates, whether it's on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, whatever. Put it on right? a snap, man. You're not being able, yeah, Snapchat, Wait, you whatever. You know, not being able to have that. <laughs> You're kidding. That's a real thing. Uh, That's a yeah. real reason. It's a, it's a reason yeah. because people. This is coming I mean, from Kramer. Kramer's surprised I have, here. Yeah, I mean, this guy. What? That's crazy. <laughs> Kramer's actually, on social media 24 7. I am. I use it a lot, but when I go to a game, I'm not trying to. I mean, I'll try and post a snap story. Like, <laughs> hey, y'all, I'm here. But, but I didn't. That's not a reason for me not Tell to me how the Twitters work, Kramer. Well, let me tell you. Cats and tubes. Cats and tubes. Cats and tubes. It's all cats and tubes. That's the whole internet, actually. (laughs) Well, that's funny, huh? I know we've taken a lot of your time, Mark. You're a busy guy. Before before we we wrap up here, need your hot take on uh, Lamar Jackson in the NFL. Superstar. He's going to be a superstar. And as good of a player he is, he's a better person. And the Baltimore Ravens, I can promise you, are going to be very glad they drafted him. He's an unbelievable leader. He makes everybody better around him, and he makes people and he makes his teammates believe. And that's something you can't fake. You can't make it. You can't do that, right? He's got that innate ability where he's able to just make the people around him better. They believe in him. They want him. And he's a diehard competitor. And so he's going he's gonna to outwork anybody on that team, and he will, he will be a superstar once it's all said and done. That's I love awesome. it. What about, love what about it. Donovan Mitchell? Funny story. I almost hit Donovan Mitchell with my car one time. Dude, you uh, it was asshole. Late, it was late at night. I was leaving U Point, 
<laughs> Donovan Mitchell's crossing the road. Didn't I, I was driving. He just runs across the road. I was like, how bad would it have been if I hit Donovan Mitchell with my car? I'd be that guy. There'd I'd be, be like a contract Steve Bartman. Out on you. you would have had to move away from the, the city. Steve Bar- it was t- I was like, that was Donovan Mitchell. He's like, sorry, man. I was like, no, I am sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. That's awesome. No, I think there's there's a lot of jazz and Cardinal fans that would uh, not be too happy with you right now. Yeah, I would have to go in hiding for <laughs> sure. Exactly. But hey, Donovan, we're good, man. We're good. I hope, I hope you hear this. Probably yeah. never hear this, but I almost hit you, and I'm very sorry. Yeah, man, that's, that's, that's not cool at all. Donovan Mitchell signed my son's jersey after a game one time. Literally, like we, Beth and I are standing there at the, at the end of the game. Donovan's getting ready to walk into the locker room, and we're like, hey, Donovan, can you sign my kid's jersey? I mean, DT is literally, you know, nine months old at the time. And we hand him this baby. Or actually, I think we handed it to somebody somebody else. Here's the Sharpie, Donovan. Sign my baby. Sign the kid. Sign the kid. (laughs) I've got a photo of this event, actually. But, uh, but yeah, Donovan Mitchell, he's a real class act. Yeah, he's cool. That's what you see, and I think that's part of the thing that I love the most is still I'm a believer in the enterprise. I I love it because I was a student athlete. And to hear these stories... That's what, what I loved about my job, is to hear and understand it, because that's why you love Louisville. That's why you're always going to be a Donovan Mitchell fan. Straight you know, up. Lamar Jackson. I mean, spending time with spending time with our kids and these fans, that's such a, that's such a monumental uh, game changer. And you, you love it when you hear the good stories. And unfortunately, I wish those stories were more prevalent than what is being shared, because they happen a hell of a lot more often than, mm-hmm. than what's mm-hmm. being shared. You know. Very true. Well, that's awesome. I think uh, we're going to wrap it up here and everything. So, <laughs> there's that the picture. This is, no, the picture. this isn't the one where he was actually signing it, but this is DT smiling after. Um, they actually signed his, <sighs> his jersey. Kid. Man, we've got, it, we've got it mounted in, the, um, in his nursery. And, I mean, it's not a nursery anymore. He's two and a half years old. Uh, he's a grown man. But we, yeah, he's basically a grown <laughs> man. He needs to get a job is what year. he needs to do, pay some rent. <laughs> Jeez. Um, What's your 401k? But we've got, like, that, from that season, we've because, uh, you know, basket, you mentioned bas- basketball's tough to attend, you know, especially if you've got a kid or if you work and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. But um, that year, we got all of the tickets with the players picture on each one of them signed by each of the players we got the jersey signed um and then we've mounted it in you know a frame uh, that hangs up in his room it's awesome but that's so. something you'll never forget Nah, man but that's something you'll never forget that story you'll never forget it that's what's great about sports right you said fan fanatic fa- you know that's what it is mm. we're fanatics we love it and it, it's great when you know a university and their student athletes are able to reciprocate that feeling back to the you know back to back to the fans that that have given up so much to come whether it's time money anything you know they're they're sacrificing to come to these games well dude good looking out on spending some time with us today thank this you this was fun thank you yeah, much thank appreciate you. it mark thanks for no. being here Absolutely. we will be back next friday not Mark Jurich this time, but somebody else. Do we ha- we don't have a guest yet. I mean, Laney, still Laney was busy next week again. It's going to be a step leader. down, regardless. <laughs> we'll figure it out. All right, we will be here with the fifth episode of the El Toro Podcast next Friday. We will see you then. You've been listening to the Straight from the Bull Podcast from El Toro Studios, brought to you by ElToro.com, where we target people, not pixels. <laughs>